Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace, your mercy that is new for us every morning. We thank you for your word that you have spoken so that we might know you. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to you now and open your word to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it is October, and you know what that means. Uh, October is the time of year when we get excited about extortion. (laughs) That's right. It's when we encourage our kids to become extortionists, too. Um, That's what Halloween is, right? We dress up in costumes, and we wander around our neighborhoods extorting our neighbors out of uh, their treats with the threat of tricking them. If you don't give me your treats, I will trick you. It's extortion. And uh, to defend ourselves, we carve scary faces into vegetables and put them on our porches to try to scare off these marauding extortionist children. (laughs) You're probably thinking, wow, that's way to make Halloween a huge bummer, right? Um, Well, at this point, you know I can't help myself. But uh, the best part about October is actually we always talk about money in church, which I know we all love. But I assure you, it has no correlation to Halloween and extortion, for that matter. So, praise God. Um, Although, discussions of money in church may indeed be terrifying for you, uh, depending on your economic situation right now. It might be a scary thing to talk about money. And maybe you've watched too many prosperity gospel preachers on TV, and it may actually feel, you might feel like you've been extorted by preachers before. It leaves a bad taste in your mouth. But I promise you there's nothing to fear today. Uh, Thankfully, the Bible gives us a healthy perspective on money. But it is a sensitive topic, right? Money can be a sensitive topic. And it's because it's closely attached to our needs. Our needs. We fear that our needs won't get met if we don't have enough money or if we don't have enough resources to meet them, right? And this creates a situation where our view of money then gets out of perspective. It gets too big, often. Will we get what we need in this life? Will we be taken care of? I don't know about you, but it's one of the things, you know, when Kate and I are thinking about the future, and translate worrying, and uh, trying to figure out what's going to happen, you know, it's usually something like, well, maybe things will work out, or maybe we'll end up on the street. You know, like, that's, there's no middle ground there. So that's, that's our, my fear anyway, I'm sharing with you. Uh, you know, this fear of losing everything and being poor on the street. You know, it's, it's easy to see when we're thinking about our needs how fast we turn to money as the answer to those questions. <clears throat> this is why I think the Bible in general, and Jesus specifically, addresses the issue of money so often. He doesn't want us to put our hope into something that's ultimately going to let us down. He loves us, and he wants us to find the true answer to our needs, and that's in him. It's that prayer that I often pray at the end of our services here, uh, that among the sundry and manifold changes of the world, our hearts may surely there be fixed, where true joys are to be found in Jesus Christ our Lord. The world we live in, we all know as a world that is full of change. Things change all the time, and our needs seem ever-expanding. You know, then we might uh, find the answer to all of our needs in Jesus. That's 
what our hope and our prayer is. That's why he shows us himself. And that's what that prayer is about, that our hearts would remain fixed on him, that he is our joy. And so we come to our passage today. It's a famous one. You've probably heard it before. Uh, The gospel passage where we hear about a a short man named Zacchaeus. And uh, Luke tells us that Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And not just any tax collector, he was a chief tax collector, which means he was really good at his job. And the Romans promoted him, right? It shouldn't be hard to wrap your brain around the fact that he was not liked in the community, right? How do you feel about the IRS? (laughs) If you work for the IRS, we love you. But um, anyway, we'll just leave it at that. But, um, you know, tax collectors were even worse back in Jesus' day. They worked for the Romans, and the Romans were the occupiers. The Romans were the oppressors of their community. They were the foreigners that ruled over Israel, and they forced the Jews to pay taxes to them. And the way the system worked was for a tax collector to actually earn any money, to make any money. The tax collector would have to extort more money from the people than they had contracted to pay the Romans. Because the Romans were going to come and say, give us what you owe us. And tax collector to have anything needed to get more money than the people actually owed the Romans. So they had a terrible reputation. And Zacchaeus was even worse because he was a Jew who worked for the Romans. You know, he was one of us that betrayed us, as uh, the thinking would go. And he was rich, as Luke says. He was good at his job. So he was rich as a result of it. He had done a lot of extorting to become rich, and it made him a hated man. No one liked him. That's what Luke tells us. Guys like him are one of the reasons why the Pharisees and other religious leaders uh, would lump the tax collectors in with the worst of society, right? And you often hear it when they criticize Jesus. Whenever they would criticize him, they would criticize the company he kept. And they would say, he hangs out with sinners and tax collectors. You know? Like, there's sinners and then there are tax collectors. So, there you go. Sorry, if you work for the IRS, you know, my office is always open. Come to me. We can talk about it. And we can pray. Anyway, this was scathing stuff, though, for Zacchaeus, for somebody like Zacchaeus. And here comes Jesus into this situation. Luke doesn't tell us exactly why Zacchaeus was so interested in seeing Jesus, but we can deduce from his compromised social standing that even though he was very rich, he felt the fact that he was an outcast. He was a reject, according to the Pharisees, according to the Jewish leaders, uh, and any respectable Jew, they were warned to stay away from somebody like him. And so then there comes this guy, this rabbi, this teacher that had developed a reputation for hanging out with rejects like him. He had clearly developed a reputation by now. There was a crowd that was wanting to see Jesus. So Zacchaeus must have heard that this guy might actually be somebody that would help him. We can read through this that Zacchaeus had a greater need than what his money could satisfy because he was desperate to see Jesus. You know, his favorite Beatles song was Can't Buy Me Love. That's in the subtext. It's in one of my um, commentaries. And uh, it, it wasn't just mild interest, you know, that Zacchaeus had in Jesus. And we can see this by his behavior. Okay, he wasn't just curious. 
because he, even though he wasn't liked, he still was a man of importance, being a chief tax collector. In the Roman world, he was still somebody that was, uh, had some status. And he does two things that important men in the ancient Near East never did. First one is that he runs. He runs ahead. Now, unless you were in a battle, literally fighting a war or you know, running for your life, you did not run as a man in the Middle East. That, and you still don't, for the most part. You know, this hasn't changed much. Only children did that. To do that would to be dishonoring of yourself. And Zacchaeus runs. And he embarrasses himself in that way. And the second thing he does is he climbs a tree. Now, you can imagine, if men don't run a lot in the ancient Near East, they're certainly not climbing a lot of trees. But Zacchaeus does both. He runs ahead and he climbs a tree. And these two actions would have been huge faux pas for somebody like him. But he does it anyway because he needed to see Jesus. He was short, after all. You can almost see the situation, you know. Uh, He's sitting there trying to push through the crowd. You know, hey guys, I want to see him too. And then you can see them kind of turn around and be like, oh, it's Zacchaeus. And then they kind of tighten their wall. You know, like, don't let him in, that jerk. You know, it's that wonderful, wonderful passive-aggressive behavior that we do as people. You know, we don't have any real power over the person, but we're going to let them know that we hate them anyway. So, and Jesus comes passing through Jericho. That's what Luke says. He's passing through, which itself is an interesting detail that Luke is telling us here. Because when somebody like Jesus, who is accepted as important or seen as a, you know, an important teacher, uh, when they would come into a town, they would usually be asked by someone to stay for a night. It was an honor for somebody to get that important person to stay with them. <clears throat> So Jesus probably would have had an invitation to come and stay with somebody while he's in town, at least while he's, you know, stay the night, stay with us for a night. And he would have been obliged to accept their hospitality. Those were just kind of the cultural norms. But Jesus had rejected this offer. He's passing through town, Luke says. He's not staying. But then he comes to the sycamore tree, where Zacchaeus is sitting, trying to capture a glimpse of this friend of sinners, this friend of tax collectors. And what does Jesus do? He calls to Zacchaeus, he calls him down, and he tells him in front of all the people that out of everybody there, he must stay with him. He doesn't want to stay with any of the respectable people in town. You know, he wants to stay with the short extortionist, the guy that everybody hates. This chief tax collector, and he uses that word, he uses the word must. I must stay with you. Luke shows that any desire that Zacchaeus had to see Jesus was far surpassed by Jesus' desire to see him. Jesus wanted to find Zacchaeus. He wanted to be with Zacchaeus. And this is the life-giving moment for Zacchaeus in this story. This is it. He's used to being the reject He's used to being the outcast, to being notorious, you know, and he got paid for it, so he probably kind of convinced himself, well, at least I've got a really nice donkey, I don't know. Um, They didn't have cars, so, you know, he had a nice horse. And, uh, you know, he's convincing himself that he was okay, but then you could see that there was something missing, and he's used to being, you know, people turning the other way when they're crossing the street when they see him coming. And now here, 
Jesus, this teacher, honors him. Because that's what he does. He honors Zacchaeus in front of the whole crowd. He gives him importance in front of everybody from Jericho. He wanted to stay with him, and he wanted to have full fellowship with him. It's no wonder that Zacchaeus received Jesus joyfully. He came down out of that tree fast. And it's no wonder that the Pharisees and the others in the crowd were deeply offended by this. By going to Zacchaeus' house, where there would have been probably a banquet and, you know, a big meal celebration, Jesus was saying, I am aligned with this man. I want to be a guest in his house. I am aligned with him. Because that's what it meant. You know, Table fellowship was one of the biggest things you could take part in in the ancient Near East. Go and have dinner with somebody. That was saying that you are uh, an important person to them. And Jesus is saying that. I'm in full fellowship with people like Zacchaeus. And we understand this. If you think about, you know, our lives today. I just went and saw Downton Abbey last night, the movie. And I'm going to give you a little spoiler, but it happens right at the beginning. And the whole thing's focused around the fact that the king of England wants to come stay at Downton Abbey. And it's this, the whole show, this whole rigmarole about the king coming. You know, we do this when we have important people that want to come to our house. Or we get invited to somebody's house that's important to us. You know, we freak out. And you probably tell everybody. This is what's going on here. This idea of having fellowship with somebody, being invited into their home, carried a ton of weight And Jesus is tearing down the walls that had been set up between the righteous and the sinner. The only thing worse for Jesus than having dinner with sinners was to actually participate in their sin with them. So Jesus keeps on breaking all these social norms, and he tells us why. He sums it all up for us. He says he came to seek and save the lost. He came for the outcasts. He came for the sinners. He came for the rejects. And I want to contrast this interaction with another interaction that Jesus has with a rich man. And it's actually the chapter right before this one in Luke 18. And there's no mistake there. Luke wants us to see the differences between these two rich guys in Jesus' interaction with them. In chapter 18, Jesus meets the rich young ruler. And like Zacchaeus, he's also interested in seeing Jesus. And he comes and asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's his question to Jesus. And Jesus' response is different from Zacchaeus. He responds with the law to the rich young ruler. He responds with the Ten Commandments. And the young ruler says that he's kept all of them his whole life. And then Jesus responds to that, saying, one thing you still lack Sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And Luke tells us that the young ruler goes away very sad because he was extremely rich. That's the language he uses. And he comments on how hard it is. Jesus comments on how hard it is for a rich man to be saved. But then in the next chapter, we see another rich man who is saved quite easily. What's the difference? What's the difference here? Why is it hard for the rich young ruler, and why is it easy for Zacchaeus? Why does Jesus respond differently to these two? Well, it has to do with the way that they understood themselves, their perspective on themselves. 
As we've seen, Zacchaeus had no illusions about himself. He was rejected to the point where the crowd wouldn't even let him through to see the road. He was rich, but he was a social outcast. He was a swindler, he was a cheat, and he knew it. But the rich young ruler saw himself as a really good person. He was cutting it, right? I mean, Jesus gives him the law, and he says, I've done all of that. You know, he was extremely rich, as Luke says, and he was a law-abiding Jew. So he would have been the poster boy for the Pharisees. You know, this is what we're going for. You know what I mean? If you want to, if what the Pharisees had to say, you know, what do you want from us if you're like a regular Jew? What are you trying to get out of us? Like, well, we want you to look like this guy. You know, Bill, he's rich and he keeps the law. Be like him and then you'll be, you'll be good with us. You'll be saved by God. And the hearers, when Jesus says it's hard for a rich man to be saved, they get this. They're aghast. Because their response after Jesus says that is, who then can be saved? They look at this guy and they're like, we're all in trouble. If this guy's not getting in, you know, I'm not getting in. But Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's what he tells us. He came for the desperate. He came for the people who are in need. He responds to the rich young ruler the way that he does with the law. And then with the one thing he knows will be too much for him to do. Because he wants to destroy the false hope. He wants to destroy the illusion that he was going to be able to save himself by his actions and by his wealth. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus self-righteously. He thinks that he's got it together. And he wants basically a rubber stamp from this important teacher, Jesus. You know, he wants Jesus to say, oh, you're great. You know, he wants that same kind of affirmation he was getting from everybody else, probably. You'll get it, and you're great. Don't worry about it. But Jesus doesn't do that. He actually goes right after the guy's weakness, right? It's the arrow to Achilles' heel. He goes right to the place that's going to be too much for him. Because he actually wants him to see that he is desperate, just like everybody else. He can't do what is required to save himself. But with Zacchaeus, Jesus responded with grace. Not law, because Zacchaeus was already there. He had already found that his wealth was not all it was cracked up to be. Right? Can't buy me love. Money can't buy me love. He didn't find any real solace there. He had already been fully prepped by... The, the Jews and the Pharisees and the law, they had told him what he was. He was a guilty sinner. He was the worst of the worst. And he was a traitor. And so he comes to Jesus without any sense of righteousness and without any dignity. He runs and he climbs a tree. And then Jesus extends to him honor and relationship, full fellowship. I must stay with you, Zacchaeus. And you know the results. We read them. Today, Zacchaeus, having experienced Jesus' love and acceptance, responds by giving away all his wealth. That's what he says. I'm going to give away half my money, and then if I've ever extorted anybody, which means everyone, I'm going to give them four times as much, which doesn't make any sense mathematically. You know, but it's him showing, I'm going to just give it all away. He responds to the Lord being actually accepted and loved, by the person that can actually help him by wanting to give everything away. It's his joy we see. We see him joyful. 
It's his joy to be generous. Money wasn't his hope anymore. Jesus was now his hope. And this is always the way it works. This is the way it works. Jesus frees us from fear, and it frees us to be generous. It actually frees us to love others. He takes away the fear of our needs being met. Remember the stuff that, you know, makes us worry about ending up on the street. You know, I need to, get, I need to work harder and get more money and all that stuff so that I can push myself further and further away from what I'm afraid of, which is being lost and being poor and dying. Jesus pushes that away, you know, he takes all of that fear and ends it. And it sets us free to actually bless others. And the funny thing about Zacchaeus is the fruit that's born in his life is exactly the action that Jesus required of the rich young ruler. Sell everything you got and give it away and follow me. And that's exactly what Zacchaeus does without Jesus having to tell him to do it. He just knows that he wants to be generous. His life is changed. He's actually completely changed. He's risen from the dead. So, where are you today? Where is your hope? That's really the question about these two rich people. Uh, You know, where are you putting your faith? Don't be afraid to be brought to your end. To finally see your need for what it really is. Because that's what we're doing all the time. Our whole culture is built on this. Trying to defend ourselves from ever actually feeling need or bad or sad or any kind of negative emotion. You know, we're trying to defend ourselves all the time. And I'm saying that what we see here is we don't have to be afraid of that. We don't have to be afraid of our need because the great news is that when you find yourself in a desperate spot like Zacchaeus and hopefully where the rich young ruler ended up, where you might have worldly wealth, you know, but you feel rejected or you feel outcast or you feel desperate, Jesus, the Lord of the universe and the Savior of the world, says to you, I must come to your house. I must come to your house. I must come and stay with you. You're why I'm here. I must because I have come to seek and save the lost. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for this good news that you have come to seek and save the lost. You have come for people in need, and we are all in need, Lord. We are desperate for you. And we thank you that you raise us up from the ashes. You give us new life, Lord, and it sets us free from fear and enables us to actually be generous with what we have. It enables us to be a blessing to others, to be the ones who carry this message of good news in you. We ask that you would keep this firmly fixed in our hearts and our minds this week. Lord, help us to be secure in you. And Lord, I pray that you would bring this fruit to bear in our lives, that we would be generous to those around us, and we would share the good news that you have come for the lost. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.